And on this Easter Sunday morning, would you take your Bible and go to Matthew chapter 27. We're going to be looking at the very end of 27 into 28. Words that likely, if you've been around church at all, you've heard before. I mean, after all, it is Easter. It's not like I'm going to take you to some passage and you'll be like, oh, wow, Pastor Steve just shocked me this morning. But I pray that you will see things differently. I've also attempted, for the sake of our church family, and if you are a visitor, I pray that you'll give us some latitude because this is a unique Sunday for us. I was telling Brother Jeff this morning, I'm, I'm 46. The last time that I ever did this where I experienced the kind of a transition of a church where we kind of ended a season in one location and then started up again in another location, I was only 13 years old when First Baptist Church was meeting down on 100 Portugal Cove Road and they had made the decision they had bought seven acres of land just up here off of White Boulevard. And so I remember distinctly that time, but I was just a kid. I was just coming into my teen years and so it was very different for me. And of course now being an adult, being married, having children and being a grandfather and being even in my, I guess technically in my middle age, I've become much more aware of mortality and how quickly time flies, especially when you become a grandfather and you see how quickly those little lives change. Our, our grandson is now eight months old and you can see just massively, it seems like every day his complexion changes, what he can do changes and you realize how quickly time fleets. And so this is a very unique time and so I begin this morning with a prayer that a man I look up to and admire, John Stott, the Anglican, evangelical Anglican minister who died just a number of years ago and has gone home to be with the Lord. But before he would preach a sermon, he would always pray these words, Heavenly Father, we bow in your presence. May your word be our rule, your spirit our teacher, and your greater glory our supreme concern. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, amen. And I pray that that will be true of us. So I start this morning daring to do that in a church where I believe we are very emotional but also very reserved. Let me try this out. Christ the Lord is risen today. Hallelujah. Even if it was a weak one, we got it. Jesus is alive. Uh, that's a little bit better. Come on now, uh, Esther, I need some Nigerian love here. Ready? The grave is empty. Amen. There we go. Yeah, there we go. All right. Cheryl, make some noise, honey. All right, I know I'm picking on the ladies. But these three statements are not just churchy statements. They're not even meant to do what I just did, which was try to, you know, stir you up and get you excited. The reality is Christ the Lord is risen today. Jesus is alive and the grave is empty because if any one of those is not true, then we have all gathered here in the greatest hoax of human history. And that's why I've titled my sermon, The Resurrection, The Greatest Transition of Mankind or Its Greatest Hoax. See, if you believe in Jesus, if you have put your faith and trust in Him, those who have confessed their sinfulness, the fact that we are not perfect, that those who have admitted we need a Savior, those who have repented both of your wickedness, my wickedness, and our attempts at righteousness, then we're saved. We're born again. We're converted. Those are the catchphrases. What that really means is you're made right with God. 
You're declared righteous. It means you're adopted, you're cleansed, you're sons and daughters of God. He is truly your Abba Father. He is not this mean, aloof, far distant God who has all the power and we got to try and keep him happy. No, he is truly our Abba, our Abba Father. Indwelt with God's spirit as a seal, assured of eternal life with the Trinity. May I also tell you that the difference between Christianity and every other religion and philosophy of the world is that in the end, you and I get to be with God as Father. God actually wants us in His presence. In every other philosophy, you never get to the supreme being. In fact, in many of them, the supreme being figure doesn't want you in His presence. Oh, he'll offer you a lot of other gifts. But only God, as Father says, when you are mine, you are mine. And that is why Paul said this in Philippians. He said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Amen? All right. So you kind of said amen there with me. Let me ask you something on Easter of 2018 for our church in transition in St. John's, Newfoundland, where we're the minority. We're not in the southern states where being a Christian is like actually culturally cool. Why don't we live our lives right here and right now like this is true? Where is the radical in our lives? It's Easter weekend, so television has all these kinds of movie marathons. And this was the World Television Network premiere of The Force Awakens on television of Star Wars. In case you don't know, or you're one of the like less than 1% of the planet that probably hasn't seen it. What might shock you is that in 2017, one of the fastest growing religions of the United States were those who follow the Force, the Jedi way. Like that's a thing. And people are radically, radically sold out to it. And yet here we are. Why don't we live our lives with the hope and the assurance and the promise, the greater joy, the pleasure, the commission. If Jesus, if Jesus lived and died and then rose again, if you believe that, that single truth makes everything different, right? Right? It does. Now, I've quoted this quote, I think, every Easter I've been here. In fact, I will do it till the day I die, by God's grace. I love this statement by G.K. Chesterton. He said, On the third day, the friends of Christ, coming at daybreak to the place, found the grave empty and the stone rolled away. In varying ways, they realized the new wonder. But even they hardly realized that the world had died in the night. What they were looking at was the first day of a new creation with a new heaven and a new earth. And in a semblance of the gardener, God walked again in the garden, in the cool, not of the evening, but of the dawn. Did you miss that? Do you remember that God used to walk in the cool of the evening with Adam and Eve? And on that Easter morning when Jesus rose from the dead, he would take the form of a gardener walking in the cool of the dawn to meet those that were his looking for him. That was your preview that something had changed. And so today in our text of Matthew 27 and 28, we will see 
that your position, the position you take, your honest position on the resurrection of Jesus will spell out your life. And that is especially true for many of us here at Calvary Baptist Church. Because today on this Resurrection Sunday, today for us is a real day of transition. I deliberately titled my sermon with that word transition in it. I added that word because for us as a church, we are in transition. This is our last Sunday here, and then we're going to transition to a new location by God's grace, raise the money, and build a new church that will be the facility that will hold the church that is Calvary. But today is our last Sunday service at this address in this building, a building that has housed us, been a safe place for us to come, been a place of happy memories, been a place that displayed God's amazing grace. A little group of believers has been transformed into a larger church family. And is there ever a more fitting time than to read what Solomon, inspired by God, wrote in Ecclesiastes 3? For everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant, and a time to pluck up what is planted, a time to kill, and a time to heal, a time to break down, and a time to build up, a time to weep, and a time to laugh, a time to mourn, and a time to dance, a time to cast away stones, and a time to gather stones together, a time to embrace, and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to seek and a time to lose. A time to keep and a time to cast away. A time to tear and a time to sow. A time to keep silent and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. On Easter Sunday, for this church, this is true. This is true of us today and what the resurrection of Jesus means to the world. You know, it was a proven scientific fact that the change or that change is one of the most feared things that human beings encounter. We all say we want it and yet we're petrified of it simultaneously. We resist it with every fiber of our being. We love stability. We love for things to remain as they are. But the inevitable aspect of life is that things always change. One person said the only thing constant is change. Yet it is impossible to get from where we are to where we are going without making a transition. That is true of Easter. That is true of this church. And so we need to learn to function and ultimately be successful in the season of transition. And so much more in simply moving from one place to another or building a new building. We are called to display and declare the truth and invitation of Jesus has risen from the dead. That's the main thing. And we're going to see from Matthew that religion wants Jesus dead and to stay dead. Faith not only believes that Jesus is alive, but it proclaims it. It gives up everything for it, and it trusts in it. And so I would submit to you this morning, as you have gathered with us, today is different. 
Because no matter what the world has to offer, no matter what life circumstances is, it doesn't mean we don't doubt or sometimes even question. We are always to run to Jesus when we totally believe. Because here is the promise in 2 Corinthians, for all the promises of God find their yes in Him. Don't be afraid that you're struggling. Don't be afraid that you may doubt or have a season of despair. Don't be, uh, be false or, or pretend like you haven't wrestled with the things of God. But all the promises of God find their yes in Him. And that is why through Him that we utter our amen to God for His glory. And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ It is God who has anointed us and who has put also His seal upon us and given us His Spirit in hearts as a guarantee. And that's why I get asked all the time, have you ever doubted your salvation? And here's the truthful answer, no. Not because I haven't screwed up, not because I haven't had doubts, but because I know that my salvation doesn't rest with me. It rests with Jesus. And I have tried to run from God. And He never lets me get away. And so I know this to be true. And so if you allow me this morning, just for a few minutes, to read our text on Easter Sunday, we read through all the passion right up to he was dead and buried. Today I want to take you in the last part of Matthew 27 into 28. And I want you to let your mind and your heart hear and experience the collision of emotions, the wonders and the doubts and the fears and the desperation, both of those who believed and those who disbelieved, because it's right here for you to see. So go with me to Matthew 27, verse 62, and I want to read that and verse 28 for us this morning. Just a few thoughts and then I'm done. Hear the drama, feel the tension of this. Something you and I are 20-odd hundred years removed from is a reality. Just like you have certain drama in your family right now that is real, that's palpable. Feel the, the, the real emotions of this. As Matthew says, on the next day, that is after the day of preparation in Matthew 27, 62. The chief priests and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate and said, I love this. Sir, we remember how the imposter said, while he was still alive, after three days I will rise. Therefore, order the tomb to be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples go and steal him away and tell the people he has risen from the dead, and the last fraud will be worse than the first. Pilate said to them, You have a guard of soldiers? Go make it as accurate as you can, or as secure as you can. So they went and made the tomb secure. Now notice how they did it, by sealing the stone and then setting a guard. I mean, they wanted to make sure he was in there and he stayed in there. Hmm. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to the tomb. And behold, there's Matthew's favorite term, behold, There was a great earthquake for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone. And I love this, sat on it as if to say, well, you think I couldn't move this? His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. And that's a sanitized way to say they fainted or they peed themselves and just passed out. If you've ever watched those YouTube videos of people on the slingshot, that bungee thing, and they get so hyperventilated, they pass out. That's what these guys did. They passed out. 
Verse 5, but the angel said to the women, do not be afraid. For I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen as he said. This is what we sang today. Come see the place where he lay, and then go quickly. Tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. And so they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy. See these little emotional markers that Matthew is giving you? They ran away with fear and great joy. I don't know about you, but if I saw an angel, I'd be afraid. But if he told me to do something, I'd probably go do it. And so they have this collision of emotions. And they ran to tell his disciples. In verse 9, look at it. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. What was that like? And then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. And while they were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city. Now, now this is, you're back to the original thing that happened in 2762. Now we're back with the doubters, the disbelievers, okay? Here's how they react to this. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, tell people... His disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. (laughs) And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. Because they knew to admit they fell asleep was to admit failure. So they took the money and did as they were directed. And this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. Likely Matthew was writing this probably somewhere close to A.D. 70. Decades later, this is still the story. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, notice verse 17, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, one last time, I am with you always to the end of the age. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word this morning. Just a few thoughts for you this morning on our Easter Sunday and our Transition Sunday. If you take notes, I want you to write this down. I want you to see this in this passage. Number one, religion works hard to stop from happening what it says it doesn't believe in. That's what you see in Matthew 27, 62 to the end of the chapter in 66. A religious group of people working hard to come up with a conspiracy, to come up with a way to keep from happening what they said they didn't believe was going to happen. Multiple times Jesus said, I will die and I will rise again. Of which the Jewish religious elite said, no, not true. But now that he's dead, they're like, now listen, get him in there, seal the stone, set a guard upon it because we don't want to take any chances. The Pharisees and the chief priests and the members of the Sanhedrin first. They're going before a pagan Gentile on the Sabbath. That's hilarious to me. They go to Pilate and it's the Sabbath. 
To do this means they had to go to the fortress of Antonia. To step in there would have made themselves ceremonially unclean. This is how committed they were to getting their way. They were willing to violate their religion if it meant they could keep their religion intact. This is what hypocrisy will do. This is what it'll do. Second, they called him Lord. They wouldn't call Jesus Lord, but they had no problems calling Pilate Lord. You've got to see the humor of this. And then finally, notice these unbelievers have more to worry about and more knowledge of Jesus than his followers do. The followers, remember, Peter's denied him. All the disciples have fled. And they, by the end of this, they're off going fishing. Like, they don't understand what has happened. You remember the, the two on the road to Emmaus when they see Jesus and like, have you not been alive? Where have you been? In Jerusalem, everybody knows this is a sad time right now. Our Messiah is dead. These guys are more concerned and more knowledgeable of Jesus' words than even his own disciples. <laughs> I love Donald Hagner writes, Jesus' opponents took Jesus' words about rising from the dead more seriously than did the disciples. They actually had a meeting. They had a business meeting about how to stop from happening what they claimed not to believe in. Have you ever noticed that about atheists? Atheists love to come to me and enter in, engage me in an argument about God not existing. And I look at them every time and say, why are you so excited? If he doesn't exist, chill. But they seem really excited to try and convince me that someone doesn't exist who they claim doesn't exist. If he doesn't exist, relax. I tell my atheist friends, the fact that you were so committed to trying to convince me of this actually proves my point that there's something in you that says, maybe he does exist. Because if you really don't believe something exists, you don't have to worry about it. Life will prove you right. And so this is what I find. They set Jesus in the grave. They put a stone in front of it. They put a seal upon that. And they said, what? Now this seal, I want you to understand, this wasn't like some ring or something that they put. They literally melted a seal all around this thing. They, they literally cocked it into place. They wanted to make sure this thing wouldn't move. They wanted Jesus to stay both dead and buried. And that's hilarious because it makes perfect sense, right? If you want to disprove something, if you don't believe or you don't want to believe something, you have a nagging sense that it's true, then you got to do everything in your power to deny and make sure it doesn't come to pass. Because that's the only way you'll sleep at night. And don't be shocked when the world or a friend or a loved one or a co-worker or a neighbor seems, excuse my vernacular, hell-bent to deny or is desperate to prove that Jesus is dead or is just an idea. In fact, take heart and hope. This determined effort to deny is actually proof that Jesus really is alive and his conviction is setting in on the person you're praying for or witnessing to. So keep praying, keep witnessing, keep hoping in the power and truth of Jesus. And again, for us here at Calvary, we need to see that the transition of Jesus coming and living the way he did and dying the way he died and now raising to life the way he rose changed everything. It meant the Jewish religion system was now obsolete. It meant that all men and women are invited to God. It meant that life would change for the disciples in every way imaginable. And we need to understand the nature of transition. You see, a transition is not a change for the sake of change. A transition is moving from one point to another point. It's essentially moving forward. 
when we as Christians begin to encounter transition in our lives, when things begin to get shaky and unfamiliar, we need to realize that God is taking us somewhere. He is repositioning us. There are things you cannot get where you are at right now, and God wants to strategically position you and I or us so that we'll be able to access things that we could never get in place where we are. And that's why Jesus says what he does at the end of this passage in Matthew 28, 18 to 20. And we must remember this and remind ourselves of this over and over again. You see, the world tried to deny what they knew deep down to be true. But Christians, let us not also doubt Jesus when we're called upon to face what we know will be difficult or to believe and trust. And secondly, see this in our passage. Faith has emotions, but rests in the facts of who Jesus is. See, I love this. This is why I love this passage. Look, notice what it says here in chapter 28 when, when he says, now behold, <laughs> he says that, right? And behold in verse 2 of chapter 28. And you've noticed when I read chapter, eight, or chapter 28 to you, how many times Matthew said, behold, behold the women, the earthquake, behold the angel, behold the announcement, behold the ladies. And by the way, in 21st century Canada, in the Me Too movement, notice that women who were so marginalized in the first century that their testimony was not even valid in the court of law. A woman couldn't even testify. It is to the daughters of Eve who Jesus first appears to and empowers them and says, you go be the witnesses. If you don't, you want to understand in a 21st century world that coming to Jesus in the church, the church done right, women are not subverted, they're empowered, they're, they're rejoiced over, they're given their proper place as the daughters of Eve. And notice most importantly what it says at the very end, he says, behold Jesus. And on this Easter Sunday, notice how the angel talks because he says at first, he look at it, he says, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. In a world of fear, Jesus says, don't be afraid. And what do they do? They take hold of his feet. and They worship him. And they've just been on their way, remember? Rejoicing greatly, but in fear. They want to believe this is to be true. But what if it's not? And they, they, they have this struggle, and then here's Jesus. And don't miss the fact that prior to this, the disciples have left him. These same ladies had mourned and no doubt asked, is this all there is? Was this meant to be the end? <laughs> but does this phrase, do not be afraid, sound familiar? If you come to our church a few weeks back, when we looked in John chapter 6 after the feeding of the 5,000 and the disciples were then going across the Sea of Galilee and they were in a fight for their lives on that Sea of Galilee and here comes Jesus walking on the water and everybody is freaking out and what does Jesus say? Do not be afraid. In fact, you'd be shocked at how often you will read that phrase throughout Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Brother Paul is preaching through the book of Joshua and that is a phrase that comes up over and over again in the book of Joshua. Do not be afraid. In fact, if you study scripture, you might be shocked to know that the most oft-quoted command to the God's people is, do not be afraid. Because we are a people prone to fear. We are cowardly. We doubt easily. Do not be afraid. 
Jesus is alive. You can trust him. You can come to him. You can lean on him. And Calvary Baptist, as we tradition, transition today, can I ask us, are we doing that? Are we trusting in Jesus, not our facility? Are we trusting in the gospel more than a location? That is not to demean our thankfulness. That is not in any way to diminish the memories and, and, and the fact that we should remember. And I pray that there are many things in this building. I said someone asked me about the cross. And, what, and I, I, that has to come with us. And I want to make sure that finds a place somewhere in our new facility and all the other little things. Because I want the people for generations to remember that God has been faithful. But let's remember that about Easter too. And today we're getting in the boat of faith to cross the sea of the unknown. Jesus is putting us in a position like that of the disciples, not only on the Sea of Galilee, but here in the death and burial of Jesus. And now the concept of resurrection. In other words, he knew that their present position was ineffective for the need. He realized that in order for them to be in place of effectiveness, they would have to cross the storm. They would have to walk through the death, burial, and resurrection. And then notice this thirdly. Religion knows the power of Jesus sometimes better than Christians do. This is what shocks me about John chapter 28, verses 11 to 16 or 15. If you read this, take the time to notice what happens in verse 11. The religious elite were the first to know and hear that Jesus had risen from the dead. They find out before these women ever get to the disciples. The unbelievers hear about it first. And to them it wasn't good news. It was the worst news of all. Because why? Because now their fears had become reality. What they had spent countless worrying nights and energy to stop. And what are their options? They could repent. They could believe. They could confess and accept. But what is the position of the unbeliever and their unbelief? Never. <laughs> Just remember this. Remember, religion asks the wrong questions and focuses on the wrong issues and fears the wrong things or people. You'll find that consistent in religion all the time. And one man has written, if Matthew 28, 18 to 20 is called the Great Commission, then verses, chapter 28, verses 11 to 15 could be called the Great Cover-Up. The Great Cover-Up. And the irony here is incredible. Look at the lies these guys come up with. Notice what their cover story is. Their cover story is the very thing they had tried to stop. 24 to 30 hours before, they, were, they had gone to Pilate and said, listen, we need to secure this thing. So Pilate says, listen, you've got soldiers, secure it. So they secured it. Now their story is, we couldn't secure it. And so Jesus has been stolen. They actually have to admit that what we tried to do, we couldn't do. <laughs> and so basically they admit 11, kind of a motley crew of 11 with some ladies who were basically just fishermen. The only dude that probably had any kind of military experience was James the Zealot, who was a Jewish assassin. Other than that, these are blue-collar fishermen, and they're basically saying, these guys overcame a Roman garrison of trained militia warfare soldiers. How did that happen? Oh, well, they fell asleep. Oh, really? And then they broke the seal, rolled the stone, got the body out, nobody woke up. <laughs> That's some serious NyQuil. That's their story. They go to great lengths to come up with the explanations to disprove what deep down they're terrified might be actually true. I guarantee you these guys slept that night with one eye open wondering if Jesus was going to show up. How many of you have done that? You know a little bit of my life. I ran away from home when I was 14 years old. 
Wanted, I was mad at God, mad at my parents, mad at the church. I wanted to go live my life. But the truth is, I took a Bible with me. And I'd go out partying, I'd go off to dances, I'd go off doing my thing. And it didn't matter when I came home at night. I'd go down to my bedroom that my aunt let me stay in. And I'd take that Bible and I'd clutch it in my hands. And before I was able to go to sleep at night, I would say these words. Now, Lord... I know it's likely that you're true. So if you're going to come tonight, please save me. Don't let me go to hell. Amen. And then I put that Bible back on my nightstand. And only then could I go to sleep. And I prayed that prayer every single night that I had run away. In fact, I prayed some version of that prayer every night until I truly got saved. And now for, since then, I've been able to say every night when I go to bed that the children's nursery rhyme is actually pretty cool. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. And if I die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. You know what? And it's not a hope. That's reality. Because he owns me. He owns me. Listen, today let us pull back to the challenge of us as Christians on this Easter. Not to be guilty of this, of doubting Jesus. Of coming up with excuses to stay put, to stay in our comfort zones. You see, many times God's will does not take us down the easy road. It will not provide us with the path of least resistance. Many times we'll find ourselves in the midst of a storm, in the midst of a challenge, as though we are in jeopardy, and that's a good place to be. You see, if you've ever lost a job, you know that that's a real challenge. Move to a new city. Some of you have moved away from home. You're in another country. Your parents are far away from you, and you know the trauma of that. It's real. And dealing with transition in our homes and our families, these things are real. They really make us feel our emotions, but you've got to believe that God will see you through, and we must remember that the storm is not the destination, but the pathway. God has not, not forgotten us. He didn't forget these disciples. This was the plan all along. Remember those disciples again on the road to Emmaus when they are all down in the dumps and they're telling Jesus, you don't understand how bad it is. And then he breaks bread and he prays and then he opens their eyes. And then they realize what I've been afraid of was actually the path to my deliverance. And so as we bring the train into the station in verses 18 to 20, notice Jesus being alive gives us the ability to be both real and yet empowered. Actually, go back to verse 17. <laughs> the Great Commission is, go therefore into all the world. But I love the fact that in verse 7 it says, and they worship Jesus. Yay! But some doubted. Because that would have been me. That would have been me. Can I be honest with you? I am so excited about what God has for us. But I'd be absolutely lying to you if I didn't say that there's been many a sleepless night for me over the last few months. It is an impossible burden to wonder and ask God, am I telling these people to do the right thing? Everything they've known for 22 years before I got here is now going to change. What if I'm wrong? Sometimes your faces haunt me at night. In a very good way. <laughs> Not a bad looks way. I, I believe, I feel like these disciples did, who worship and yet some doubt. 
But this great commission is because there's a great God behind it. God who sent his great son, who gave his great spirit, has been greatly successful. And the resurrection of Jesus is being preached every Sunday from St. John's, Newfoundland to St. Lucius, from Moscow to Montreal, from Dakar to Dartmouth, Nova Scotia, from Baghdad to Boston, from Reno to Regina. God is building his church and the great hell's gates of hell will not, cannot, and shall never prevail against it. Amen? That's the facts. But notice with me these emotions. And it was with these doubts and combination of doubt and worship that Jesus says, listen, while you're rejoicing and worshiping and scared, go into all the world and do the impossible. And his last words are, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. God presents us with a challenge bigger than we are, and you can be sure he is prepared to invest in us the resources necessary to meet that challenge. Listen to me. This commission is not given to master you. It came to mature you. That's the truth. You see, one pastor writes, men might die because they are brainwashed or fooled. We can think of the Japanese from World War II or the Islamic terrorists sacrificing themselves for honor or reward. But men almost never die for something they are certain is a lie. If the disciples knew where the body of Jesus was, what could possibly be the motive for preaching the resurrection? Was it money? I don't think so. These guys were poor. Was it for reputation? No. Because they were called cannibals. Because they celebrated the resurrection. No, the gospel costs the disciples everything, but also think of their courage or lack of it. If the 12 didn't have enough courage to stick with Jesus until the cross, where did it all come from after his burial? Their boldness is only one sensible explanation. They beheld the resurrected body of Jesus Christ. They knew it was real. And you and I have to make a decision. Is this real or not? Because if it's not real, you're never going to see this through. But if it's real, Jesus rising from the dead is just right. To say that the early church embraced a spiritual resurrection of Jesus and not a spiritual one, if I can be so bold, is just stupid. And if I can quote that often quote person, Sherlock Holmes, who said, when you have eliminated the possible, whatever remains, however improbable, must be the truth. I find it fascinating when the world gets it. Jesus is alive. 330 prophecies in the Old Testament, all fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 15 gives us the greatest set of eyewitnesses for any historical figure we could ask. In the hundreds of people saw him post his resurrection. And so folks, listen, rest in Jesus' power and his authority and his promise. Do that this Easter. One poet puts it like this. I put it on Twitter this morning. The curtain is torn in two. The cross and the tomb are empty. The cup of wrath has been drained. The victory has been won. The serpent has been crushed. The throne is occupied. It is finished. He is risen. He is risen indeed. That's just true. No matter what your life is like right now. From Good Friday to Resurrection Sunday, it's the biggest event in human history. Or it's the biggest lie perpetrated on humanity. 
Because you see, the Bible clearly and plainly and authoritatively and unashamedly proclaims these basic truths. Here is what we claim to believe as Christians. We deserve to die as the penalty for sin. I stand before you a sinner condemned. I am far from perfect. I deserve the, the penalty of sin. We deserve to bear God's wrath against sin. I, I have sinned against God. We are separated from God by our sins, and we are in bondage to sin to the kingdom of Satan. Nobody ever taught me how to get angry. I just do. Nobody ever taught me how to be selfish. I just am. No, for anybody ever ever taught me how to be self-centered, it's just who I am until God came into my life. The entire Bible bears this out over and over again. Genesis, Psalms, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Matthew, Romans, Hebrew, 1 John speak of this. But for the bad news to be bad news, it's what makes the good news so good. So listen to the good news. Jesus died as a sacrifice for us to pay the penalty of death that we deserve because of our sin. That's Hebrews 9.26. I stand condemned a sinner, but Jesus took my place. Jesus, number two, died as a propitiation for our sins to remove us from the wrath of God. Can I tell you too, Christian, listen to what this means. Jesus didn't pay just for my sin. He didn't just take my debt and pay it off. Then he gave me all of his righteousness. So now, not only did he pay my debt, he then gave me his bank, account, bank card to his account and said, withdraw any and as much as you want and it's never empty. This is what a lot of Christians miss. See, a lot of Christians get saved and realize God paid for my sin, and then we live our life as if we've got to keep the bank account at zero. And you're always terrified of going into the overdraft. With Jesus, that's impossible. Number three, Jesus experienced death and separation from God to overcome our separation from God. He provided reconciliation for us to be brought back into fellowship with God. See, listen, it doesn't matter how much I screw up now, I can still go to him and go, Abba, Father. And he hears me, and he wants to hear from me. Dare I say, I want you to know on this Easter Sunday, God is never angry at his own. He loves you. Oh, be warmed by that today. And through Jesus' death, we experience redemption from bondage to sin and Satan so we can live in newness of life. You see, now my drive to be holy is not to make God happy. It's because He's happy. I want to please Him because He loves me, not to try and make Him love me. That's a subtle but massive difference. And how is that true? I, I love this. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then let me sum it up for us this morning. Live any way you want, really and truly. If Jesus is dead, live any way you want. Seek as much pleasure for yourself as possible because after all, eat, drink, and be merry because tomorrow you could die. There's your motto for life. Jack Nicholson made the best movie in the world. This life is all you can get. It's as good as it gets. So live it. But you will, in doing so, need to realize that death is now to be shunned and feared and loathed and hidden from because it's your greatest enemy. And you are helpless and hopeless. And all you see around us, the chaos and the killing, the cheating, the survival of the fittest is your only hope. So you better be one of the fit or you are not going to make it. Truly, we are all in the ultimate game of survivor if Jesus didn't rise from the dead. We've got to outlast, outwit, and outplay everybody else. 
All sacrifice, all selfless acts, all kindness and love are really just shams for what are we doing them for and what of lasting value is it? But what if Jesus did rise from the dead? Then we're made right with God. There is a creator and a redeemer. Then we can and do and live for eternity. And God is not only real, but is the almighty God, the whole of creation, fully right and holy to execute judgment, yes, and demand that righteousness and justice for his holiness. But Jesus does all of that. You and I don't have to. And makes it possible for us to be saved and redeemed and forgiven and adopted and declared righteous and made sons and daughters of God and transformed. And for Christians, resurrection means all kinds of things for us here at Calvary. Calvary and this Easter Sunday this morning because with this passage and our set of circumstances you see that we are many times in this transition and we know that we need to go and we know that what will happen when we arrive but somehow we can lose sight of this while making the transition and we got to remember that Jesus is in control he'll never call us to something that he hasn't given us the plan for and so we live this life with eternity in mind We know this is not as good as it gets and we can face any and all circumstances with contentment, good or bad. We can face suffering with joy and peace. We can face persecution with hope and assurance. We can forgive and love and help each other sacrificially because it does count. We can trust God even when nothing makes sense because our eternal standing does. We can live without shame or guilt. Oh, that I could get the people in this room looking at me just to live a week without shame and guilt. Because so many of you and I live our lives with shame and guilt. We can find power over any sin. We can have patience in our fight against the presence of sin. We can hope that God will save others beside us. We don't fear death. You don't fear the world. You don't fear Satan. They've been defeated. So no matter where you're at, listen, Jesus rose again. As one man sums it all up, today, this Easter Sunday, Let us behold our own sin and the sins of humankind. But let us also behold the earthquake and the angel. Behold the angelic gospel announcement. He is risen. Behold Jesus. Hold on to his human faith, feet and bow down before our incarnate king. Folks, Jesus is alive. I pray that if you're here this morning and you are a visitor And if you don't know Jesus, oh, that you would know him before you go. And for Calvary Baptist Church on this, our last Sunday together here at Kenmount Road. It's the end of a chapter, but it's not the end of the book. It's the end of a season. But Ecclesiastes says now there's a new season. So let us honor God by being thankful and remembering. But let us honor God as well by saying, Lord, Savior, like a shepherd, lead us because he's alive. And may the people of God sing that. As our music team comes, let's bow in prayer. Father God, I thank you for this Easter Sunday of 2018. Father God, the silver anniversary of Calvary Baptist Church. Lord, with a combined audience today like we have, friends and family and visitors who are not only here to hear about Easter, but here, Father, to experience this time of transition in the life of Calvary Baptist. Lord, more than anything, I pray, though, that you are glorified. You are high and lifted up. And my God and my Savior, as we move now forward and onwards and upwards, 
Lord, no matter what the future holds, no matter how long we are in the raging sea of the boat, in the Sea of Galilee, may we always remember that you are right there with us. You're either on the mountain praying and overseeing us, or you're on the water walking to protect us, or you're in the boat with us to calm us. And Father, ultimately, you will bring us safely to the other side because our God is alive and reigns. Savior, make us like you. Savior, save more people in the city through us. And Lord, for the rejoicing and the hurting, for the doubting and the confident, May we all with humility and expectation and hope know that it is only to you we can come. In Jesus' name and all God's people said.